Well, good morning. I hope you all had a great uh, Thanksgiving day. And if it wasn't enough for you, just know that every day can be a day of Thanksgiving. You have my permission to be thankful today. So anyone ever make a prediction? Like, I'm predicting the Colts will beat the Dolphins today, 31 to 17. Now, hopefully that prediction comes true, but a lot of times predictions don't come true. Let me just read you a few predictions that have not come true. In 1955, Variety magazine said rock and roll will be gone by June. <laughs> not true. It didn't happen. I think it's still around, if I'm not mistaken. The Internet will catastrophically collapse in 1996. That was a quote by Robert McCaff in 1995. Anybody still use the Internet once in a while? I guess that one didn't come true. Oh, here's a good one for some of you old-timers. The horse is here to stay. Or, or horse lovers. But the automobile is only a fad. That was made by the president of the Michigan Savings Bank to Hen Henry Ford's lawyer in 1903. I don't even remember that. Uh, the telephone has too many flaws to be seriously considered as a means of communication. Well, the telephone has changed a little bit, but uh, it's still around. That was by William Orton in 1876. And then uh, Mary Summerall in 1948 said, television won't last, it's a flash in the pan. That's kind of still around. I think most homes have a TV or two or three or more. I don't know. And here's, here's a good one. Computers in the future may weigh less than 1.5 tons. Maybe that one came true. Maybe that is a true prediction, or maybe they were saying that they don't think it's going to weigh less than 1.5. Maybe that was the prediction, but anyway, that was by Popular um, Mechanics. I still remember my grandfather having Popular... Are those still around, Popular Mechanics? Are they? Okay. So here's some end-of-the-world predictions that never came true. William Miller predicted the world would end sometime between March 21st, 1843, and March 21st, 1844, the people that followed him were called the Millerites. Uh, Joseph Smith, founder of the Mormon Church, predicted Jesus would return before 1891. Didn't happen. The Jehovah's Witnesses Watchtower Society predicted several dates for the world to end, and when one didn't happen, they predicted another one. They just kept predicting. Didn't come true. Uh, here's one I remember. Many people predicted when Y2K, or the year 2000, rolled around that computers would completely shut down, and cause worldwide panic and destruction. Whew, made it through that one. Thankfully, that was not true. And then many predicted the world would come to an end in 2012 because the Mayan calendar ended at 2012. Some of you may remember that. Well, you know, the Bible is full of predictions and prophecies that have come true. And we're going to look at a few of those today. And uh, Isaiah 46 sort of explains why biblical predictions or prophecies do come true. Here's what it says in Isaiah 46. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. In other words, what God says is going to happen will happen. 
you may not be able to hear a prediction or a prophetic word from somebody else. It, it probably won't come true. But when you read predictions or prophecy from the scriptures, those that have been, some have already been fulfilled. And because of the uh, accurateness, 100% accuracy of those being fulfilled, we can count on the promises that speak of the future of being fulfilled as well. So that's what we're going to look at today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to behold you, to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit, to ask you to capture our hearts and our minds, to open your word to us this morning. Father, we know that truth sets us free, that we are renewed and transformed through the Scripture. And I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to us this morning and help us to keep our eyes on Jesus as the Scriptures predict his coming and his coming again. We give him glory and give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've entitled this message, Isaiah and the Prophets, because I'm continuing the third part of the story, or God's story, that I've been telling over the last year or so. And the third part of God's story is the rescue. First, we had creation, then we had the fall of man, and then throughout the time until Christ comes, we have what's called the third part of the story, or the rescue. And this next part of God's rescue of mankind involves the prophets and prophecy. And I've, instead of taking you through all of the major prophets and the minor prophets and the prophets before that, I've decided just to focus on the book of Isaiah because really it's the most comprehensive book of prophecy. And it also says a lot about the first and second advents of Christ. And since we're celebrating the first advent of Christ starting next week, I thought this might be a good book to talk about today. So exactly what is a prophet? Well, a prophet is one who is divinely inspired to communicate God's will to his people and disclose the future to them. A prophet is one who is divinely inspired. In other words, it's not just his words, it's God's words. And to tell us, um, sorry, to communicate God's will and also to predict or disclose the future to us. In other words, prophets are God's messengers. They're ones who have gone forth to announce and to declare and to tell us what God's will is and what God is doing now, what he's going to do later on. They're God's messengers. You might just say that prophets are the voice of God on earth. Try to remember that if you can today. Prophets are the voice of God on earth. And those prophets sayings and writings are in this Bible. This Bible is the voice of God on earth. God still speaks to us today through the prophets. Second Peter 1, 20 and 21 says, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit spirit. We know all scripture is inspired by God, and it's just saying that that inspired scripture God gave to men, and the Holy Spirit was involved in the process. In other words, God superintended the giving, the writing, and, and the uh, enlightenment on his word. How that whole process works exactly, I'm not sure of the details. I just know it comes from God, it's divinely inspired. He chose certain people 
to speak his word into their lives and somehow with the Holy Spirit guiding them, taking into account their personalities, their experiences and their backgrounds, what they said was exactly what God wanted to be said. And if you have a hard time believing that, then you just need to have a little deeper faith in who God is and what he can accomplish because he can do that kind of thing. Now, the Old Testament prophets included people like Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and Nathan, who confronted David. Uh, Some of the major prophets are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel, and some of the minor prophets like Hosea, uh, Malachi, uh, Jonah, and others. A lot of different prophets. They came from a variety of backgrounds, but they all called the people of God to certain things. All right, try to remember these. The prophets called the people of God to repentance, to faith, to rest, and, and to obedience. They declared both blessing and cursing, judgment and restoration. As the occasion called for, whatever the occasion demanded, that's what they said. They basically were speaking the words that God gave to them. Sometimes being a prophet was not the most promising job to have. People oftentimes did not want to hear what a prophet had to speak. But God declared it to a prophet, and a prophet was sent out to declare God's word. Repentance, faith, obedience, blessing and curse, judgment and restoration. And then also they predicted the future to manifest God's power and glory. Now listen to Deuteronomy 30. This is spoken by Moses in the land of Moab right before they cross over the Jordan and go into the promised land. Here's what uh, Moses said or what God said through Moses. When all these things come upon you, speaking to the nation of Israel, when all these things come upon you, in other words, the things that I've been talking about earlier, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and return to the Lord your God, you and your children, and obey his voice and all that I command you today with all your heart and with all your soul, then... Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have mercy on you, and he will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. So basically what Moses said was this, and keep in mind that Moses was a great prophet. Here you are, you've wandered around in the desert for 40 years. You've tested the Lord, you've disobeyed the Lord. When I offered you a chance 40 years ago to go into the promised land that I said I would give you, you didn't take that opportunity. But now you're at a point where you're going to go into the land. And you have a chance to either repent of your sin and obey the Lord and possess the land, or if you don't, I'm going to drive you out of the land. But even then, because of my mercy, at some point in time, you're going to return to me as I'm gracious to you and patient with you. You'll return to me, and I'll bring you back into the land again. A lot was declared just in those few verses from, from, from God through Moses to the people. Now, the prophetic portions of Scripture make up about one-fourth of the content of the Bible. Well, that's a lot. Did you, did you know that? One-fourth of this Bible is prophetic in nature, and probably even more. And it focuses on a coming king and a coming kingdom. Lots of times the prophets didn't necessarily see the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. They just kind of saw it all from a distance and just knew at some point in time there was going to be a Savior, and yet somehow that Savior was going to go through some suffering 
and then he was going to be the king of kings and lord of lords. They had perhaps didn't have the clarity that we have on this side of the cross to see the first and second coming, but they saw those things, and God spoke those things through them. But they knew a king was coming, and he was going to have a kingdom. So listen to these verses that just kind of talk about that, that king and kingdom. Uh, in Deuteronomy 18.50, God speaking through Moses to the nation of Israel, he said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Who's that prophet? Well, the prophet was Jesus. And just as Moses rescued the nation of Israel from Egyptian slavery, Jesus came to rescue us from Satan, sin, and death. And then in 2 Samuel 7, we read this from the prophet Nathan to King David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So God prophesies that a a prophet is coming like Moses. And then we see through Nathan that this prophet, this one that's coming, this Messiah, is going to be a descendant of David. And he's going to have a throne, and that throne is going to be established forever. And then we see this in the New Testament in Luke chapter 1 when the angel Gabriel spoke to Mary. And he said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. There's going to be a prophet that will come. He'll be a descendant of David. He'll sit on a throne. It will endure forever. And now we see that 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 son is going to be born. And he's going to come from Mary. And he's not only going to be a son, but he's going to be a son of the Most High. And he's going to fulfill that prophecy in 2 Samuel. He's going to sit on the throne of David. He's going to be a descendant of David. And then just one more from Luke chapter 2. God speaking through Simeon to Mary and Joseph when they went to the temple to dedicate Jesus says, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation, which means just comfort of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, in other words, the Messiah, this prophet. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. So these were all prophecies that were fulfilled uh, at Christ's first coming. So now, let's, let's look at the book of Isaiah for just a minute. First of all, Isaiah's ministry went from about 740 B.C. to about 680 B.C. In other words, Isaiah had a ministry of about 60 years that spanned four different kings in Judah because he was primarily 
a prophet to the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom. So here's the context of Isaiah's ministry. Both the north, and you remember that Solomon's son Rehoboam is the one that split the kingdom. So we have the ten northern tribes and the two tribes here in the south. So they were known as the the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. So God was going to bring judgment on the northern kingdom through the Assyrians and a century later to the southern kingdom through the Babylonians. And that was because they were worshiping the gods of the nations around them. They'd, they'd left their, their love for the Lord and their worship of Yahweh, the true God, had, had gone. And they were worshiping other gods. And so God now is going to bring judgment and discipline upon them by taking them from the northern kingdom and from the southern kingdom. It happens over a period of about 120 years or so. But again, prophecy doesn't necessarily say, here's the prophecy and it's going to happen next week. Sometimes these prophecies are fulfilled centuries later, which makes it even greater, doesn't it, that God's word can state something in, you know, and then 700 years later, here it is. I mean, that's just fantastic. So anyway, God used the prophet Isaiah to warn the southern kingdom of Judah to repent and turn back to the Lord. He also brought the nation some comfort and hope and just said that at some point in time, the entire nation is going to return and be restored. So amidst your sin, amidst this suffering and pain, this exile that's going to happen, at some point in time, the Lord's going to be gracious and merciful, and he's going to bring you back to the land. So let me, uh, if, if you will, oh, by the way, uh, do you know how Isaiah died? Tradition says he was sawn in two. Check out Hebrews eleven thirty seven. It talks about people being stoned, sawn in two, killed by the sword. So not a good way to go, but anyway, that's what tradition says. So let's, uh, let's take a look at Isaiah's calling. So actually open up your uh, Bible or your device and go to Isaiah chapter 6. Since we're going to kind of look at some of the prophecies in Isaiah this morning, let's learn a little bit about Isaiah's calling. Now, keep in mind that all along the way, as God calls true prophets to proclaim his word, there are many false prophets that come out and says, thus says the Lord. And how do you know a, a, a true prophet from a false prophet? Well, you can look at their life, but you can also wait and see, does the prophecy come true? But like I said, sometimes it, it takes longer than not. But they generally all had a call of God. In other words, they were changed and transformed by a holy God, by the Holy Spirit, changed in such a way that they saw who the Lord was and believed in him, and then their hearts were ready to serve. And that still happens today. You don't get a call to be a pastor or a missionary or even an evangelist in your workplace without God calling you to that. God calls us to himself. He calls us to prayer. He calls us to his word. He calls us to the body of Christ. And then he gathers us that he can scatter us and calling us to go to different places and to share the, the love and truth that is in Christ Jesus. Every morning, you ought to wake up and say, okay, Lord, speak. What are you calling me to today? I'm here and I'm yours. Here's Isaiah's calling, chapter 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. 
he was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him stood the seraphim, all right, a a, a type of angel. Each had six wings. With two, he covered his face. With two, he covered his feet. And with two, he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We see similar words in the book of Revelation as well. The angels just keep calling out how holy, how, how different God is from anything else, how above his creation that he is. And I could just keep on going to try to define holy, but it's really hard to even define it. But the angelic hosts just keep crying out, holy, holy, holy. We should probably imitate them more. We should probably worship like they worship. By the way, I appreciate the worship, so thank you guys. Those of you in the back, thank you. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And then Isaiah said, I'm done. I am toast. No, wait a minute. He said, woe is me. Sorry. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am undone. I'm a dead man. For I'm a man of unclean lips. Isaiah recognized his sinfulness. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord, Yahweh of hosts, of all of the angelic beings. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Isaiah has been radically changed, transformed into the person that he needed to be in order to hear the call, receive the call, and then carry out the call. And that's much like us today, too. We have to receive it. Whatever God's calling us to, we have to receive it. We have to embrace it. And then you'll see in a minute, we have to be willing to step out. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Well, there's my brother over him. Aaron, send Aaron. He speaks better than I do. Or my uncle Joe, send him. Lord, I don't don't really feel prepared for this yet. When God calls a person to be a prophet, when he calls you to work with children, when he calls you to go over and share the love of Christ with a neighbor, don't you think he knows exactly who you are the giftings that you have, the knowledge that you have, the faith that you have. He knows exactly who you are, and he does not call you to a task that he will not equip you for. It may take some faith. It may take some honing of those gifts. It may take a lot of prayer and perhaps even some humility being built along the way. But God will use you. 
All you have to do is say, here am I, send me. And then the Lord said, go. And he went. For 60 years, he went. Let's look at a few prophecies of Isaiah. First of all, go to chapter 1. Prophecies of sin, of judgment, of restoration. You kind of see it all here in, in Isaiah. Um, you see all of these things, and they're sort of mixed around, although you can sort of take Isaiah and divide it into two parts. Chapters 1 through 39 are mostly about sin and judgment, and then chapters 40 through the end of the book, chapter 66, is mostly about hope, comfort, restoration, but that doesn't really always prove true. There's a little mix of all of those around. You sort of have to just read the whole book, but look at verse 3 of chapter 1. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord, and they have despised the Holy One of Israel. Listen to this. They are utterly estranged. They're utterly apart from me. They're not connected to me in any way. They have, like sheep, gone their own way. The nation has turned their back on the Lord, on Yahweh. Here's some of the judgment. Look at verse 15, same chapter. The Lord says, When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. But then we see the mercy of God, the grace of God. Go down to verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. If you obey the Lord, you'll eat the good of the land. If you refuse that, you'll be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And again, what God speaks will happen. His prophecies, his predictions, his word always comes true. All right, let's go to uh, chapter 30. Go to chapter 30. Just another example here of sin and yet mercy. Uh, let's look at verses 9 through 11, chapter 30, 9 through 11. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the, the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, listen to this, do not prophesy to us what is right. We don't want to hear God's word. We don't want to hear the truth. Speak to us smooth things, comforting things, easy things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. But then look at verse 18. You're going to have sin. You're going to have judgment. And it says in verse 18, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. You know, sometimes we just wonder why God's not blessing or moving us forward in certain ways. Sometimes we just haven't examined our lives. 
We haven't confessed sin. We haven't drawn near to Him and, and fixed this estrangement. Because you see, when we're apart from God, God's never moved. It's us that move. It's, we are the ones who move. And as we repent and draw near the Lord, the Lord waits to be gracious. In other words, God wants to be merciful. He wants to be gracious. He wants to bring comfort and hope and forgiveness and restoration. In other words, he, it says in, in uh, the rest of the verse says, He exalts himself to show mercy to you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Yes, blessed are all those who wait for him, who trust in him. And let me just share one more here. Go to chapter 54. We're getting short on time, so I'm going to skip over a few. Uh, Isaiah 54, 7 and 8. This sort of summarizes this whole concept of sin, judgment, and mercy, or restoration. 54, verse 7. For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. We also see a lot of prophecies about the first coming of Christ. Uh, you'll recognize this one in chapter 7 where God's giving a sign to the nation. It, it's fulfilled in the near future, but it's also fulfilled when Christ comes on the scene. Verse 14, Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we see in Matthew chapter 1, Emmanuel means God with us. So we see a prophecy of his first coming. Uh, go, if you will, to chapter 62. Here's some verses that talk about his second coming. And again, they don't necessarily mention Christ or the king, but they show you what happens as a result of Christ's coming and making things right and righteous. Isaiah 62, verse 1, For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth as brightness, and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name and the, that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the land of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called, my delight is in her and your land married for the Lord delights in you. And you see a lot of other ones like that as you go through the chapters in the 60s here, especially chapter 65 talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, uh, all of that. So God's sin, judgment, restoration, the first coming of Christ, second coming of Christ. And then sometimes you actually see both first coming and second coming in a passage. Go to chapter 9. This is one you're familiar with. I'll just share this one. Chapter 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is giving. First coming of Christ, first advent. But now it goes into the second advent. So it can be confusing as these prophets are being given words that speak of the two different advents of Christ, and they don't know it. Says the government shall be upon his shoulder, 
And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Prophets, prophecies, God's messengers, the voice of God on earth. They share about the nation of Israel, what's going to happen, what's going to happen in the future. They talk about the first coming of Christ, talks about the second coming of Christ. Sometimes we'll see both first and second comings in passages. You also can check out chapter 61 to see the same thing uh, there as well. But let me just talk about some application. I know this has been kind of quick. It always is trying to cover so much ground in one message. But how does Isaiah and the prophets speak to us today? All right, how do they speak to us today? Let me share some passages that talk about the prophets and listen and come up with some application. When Jesus was uh, encountered the two men that were on the road to Emmaus after his death, burial, and resurrection, he starts walking with these two people that are leaving Jerusalem, going to Emmaus. He says, what's up? They can't believe he doesn't know what's been happening. But here's what he says. He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. You see Jesus throughout the Old Testament. All of the prophets spoke of Jesus in one way or the other. We've just looked at a small sampling in Isaiah. Let me just encourage you, if you've never read the major and minor prophets, read them. If you've never read the Old Testament, read it. It gives a lot of instruction and insight into our life in Christ today. And you see the foreshadowing of Christ in the Old Testament, which gives you a greater depth of understanding who Jesus is and just the significance of his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Acts 10 says this, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We need to believe. Just as the scriptures call Israel to believe, he calls the church to believe as well. And then the verses that Joshua read during the worship. Hebrews 1, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days He's spoken to us by His Son. And as God the Father said, we need to listen to Him. And then lastly, in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter is speaking. He says, We did not follow cleverly, cleverly devised myths, with whom I am, I'm sorry, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. Peter says, I saw prophecy come true on the Mount of Transfiguration. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven and we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you would do well to pay attention. How was the prophetic word more fully confirmed? Because what they had read about the Messiah 
this prophet like Moses, what he was going to be like, they saw him not only in his first coming, but they saw him transfigured as the King of kings and Lord of lords as he will be in his second coming. In other words, they saw prophecy fulfilled in the first coming, but now by seeing the glorified Christ, they saw the prophecies that talked about his second coming being fulfilled. And so now we have prophecy even more confirmed. And it says that we would do well to pay attention to it because it's a light shining in a dark place. And it's the morning star that will rise in our hearts as we put our faith in Christ. So let me summarize. Here's my summary. Jesus is the ultimate prophet. Jesus is the ultimate prophet. He calls us to repentance, faith, and obedience. He declares to us both salvation and condemnation. He promises complete restoration. And we would do well to pay attention to his words. The prophets still speak. You want to hear the prophets? You want to pay attention to their words? Read this book. Let's pray.